Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Welcome to our latest pod, and I'm really excited to tackle a new topic for us, which is really about value-based care and looking at it from a digital transformation perspective. And we have another fantastic guest in Tim Gruninger, who's with us, and we'll go into a, a, a brief introduction here shortly and allow Tim to introduce himself. And uh, first, I'm going to bring back our DJ, Sydney. And uh, Sydney, you know, you're fairly uh, young and due to health insurance, maybe on your own. And, you know, do you find it hard to navigate? What's been your experience uh, today, like working with uh, Tech Mahendra or whoever you've worked with before? Yeah, thanks, Ed. Um... I'm still very early in my career, like you said, but um, it definitely is an adjustment learning about the technical side in the digital world. Um, I've only taken a few college classes on technology, so I'm definitely learning a lot in the experience. Yeah, well, I think you're going to hear from Tim in our discussion just how digital tools are being utilized today to help with value-based care and really uh, help bring about that transition that's been really talked for 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 many, many years. So Tim is the former chief of staff and director of delivery system reform for CMS. So we'll definitely want to hear about that. Worked as a White House senior advisor on healthcare policy. So I bet has some great insights and story and stories around that. And, and today he is the CEO of Caravan Health. So Tim, welcome to Digital Voices. Thanks, Eddie. Excited so to be here. One thing we always ask, because you know we try to get real as people too, is favorite music. So when you have downtime or, you know, traveling between office and home or wherever, what sort of music would be on your playlist? Oh, man, I uh, probably will regret admitting this, but um, in arguing with my children and their friends and trying to get some music I really don't like off the air, we've been just listening to a ton of uh, Dua Lipa tracks, uh, upbeat, uh, most people can yeah. agree on them, and uh, it's easy to drive to. Good for working yeah. out, too. All right. We'll no, no, that's now. safe, and, and it's a good answer and a unique one, so we love it. And what about your life message? Like, what's, Do you have a mantra that you try to live by or lead by? I don't have a mantra. Um, I do really value authenticity a lot, and I want people who work at Caravan and our clients to uh, be able to uh, to do meaningful work and to do work that they believe in and that they care about passionately. And, uh, you know, it's something that, that my mother coached us, trained us to believe in. And if you're, if you're doing something that you care about and that you love, then you, uh, hopefully you'll be able to find a way to, to make an income from it. Uh, that's not always guaranteed by any means, but, um, in, in healthcare, we are, uh, we're fortunate to work in an industry that that's really important for people. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of mission driven people at Caravan and, uh, and certainly, uh, at our clients and, uh, I align myself with that. I, I believe in our mission to help providers do right by their patients and to take care of them, even when they aren't right in front of them. And so uh, that's my mantra for my myself and my kids is uh, find something worthwhile and work really hard. Yeah, that's it. that's sound advice right there and, and words to live by. Tim, tell us a little bit about your story. So I did already drop some of your, your background and your current role, but what else would you want to share with our audience? And, and some of them are sort of mid-level or early-level career as well as uh, senior executives. You know, what, what sort of things might you want to share about your background? What led you to becoming CEO today at Caravan Health? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, careers are the funniest things when uh, I think probably 95% of us in healthcare, except for maybe certain types of physicians, would not be able to say that what they planned on doing in high school even was what they ended up doing. But they, but you could often be very happy in your career, even with that extreme path dependence, uh, as the economists yeah. might call it. So uh, my, my path has been wandering, but uh, has been organized for the last 20 years around trying to support healthcare improvement in a whole bunch of different ways. And my work on, on Capitol Hill and then in, in the Obama administration in a couple of different positions was all about supporting re, rejiggering, adjusting, changing the way we finance healthcare and healthcare delivery in this country and trying to step slowly, gradually, but in a really large way nationally away from the hamster wheel of fee-for-service payment and fee-for-service medicine where the more stuff you do, the more procedures you do, the more patients you admit, the, the more the system and the provider get paid. And I've followed, you know, my, my I built some expertise in those areas uh, in some technical work, Medicare payment at the Congressional Budget Office. And I used that expertise uh, in support of that mission on the Hill and in the administration. And then uh, when it was time to move on from, from policy and politics, uh, looked for a company that was aligned with with work I had done and with with my passion for supporting that type of healthcare improvement, and um, found Caravan, where I've found incredible people, incredible clients, doing really hard work with uh, not always with a ton of resources for our, our providers all around the country, and and finding ways to build new services and new population health business models that that can work for them and their communities. And so, um, you know, I. When I talk to students, people are often most interested in like the White House work because that's you know really glamorous. You know, you're like right by the West Wing. In in my case, um, I was not in the West Wing by any means, but very nearby. And um, I, I generally tell people you should never um, you should never plan or position your career around trying to work in the White House just because there's too much chance involved. Uh, but you could if you're if you're into policy and politics, position yourself to have a chance at it if you're. If the team that you're on uh, ends up taking the White House at the right time in your career, if you have an expertise and skill set that's aligned with what an administration needs. Um, but there, there's all sorts of work that you can do that's interesting in Washington. And I think that um, people have a perception of, of government as really staid and bureaucratic and tedious. And it definitely can be all of those things, but it can also be an, an engine for important change that can that can help people and that can help move, uh, in particular in healthcare, where more than half of expenditures, more than half of uh, coverage is provided by the public sector and the rest of it is subsidized by the public right. sector. Government is everywhere. Regulation is everywhere. Uh, there's just a ton of important work to do in healthcare and government. And anyone who's interested, I, I highly recommend considering it if they have the opportunity. Yeah, Tim, uh, thank you for your public service. Yeah, I, I, I'm all about that as well. I'm, I'm so glad that you were there and you you added a lot of uh, thought leadership and helped bring about change. And and I think uh, it's one of those pretty much bipartisan type of challenges that every administration has to deal with and trying to get, you know, equitable health care for everyone. And so thank you for your service. Obviously, that, that provides an amazing background for your work now at Caravan Health. Tell us about how you help hospitals with that transformation going from, you know, traditional fee-for-service, as you described it, you know, with the hamster wheel over to value-based care. Because all that healthcare organizations I served at, all wanted to do that about move to value, and it was a struggle. So obviously, you're you're well positioned to help help them. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah. It, 
And you're right. There's a huge desire to uh, to do this work, and then there's a whole range of problems that providers run into in doing it. And we we work a lot with safety net hospitals and independent community hospitals that that might be they're not your they're not your mega academic facilities that uh, you know UPMC isn't a client uh, type that we would generally work with. Maybe we we have some significant sized academic facilities, but they they often have uh, an independent mission, or they have, uh, they are uh, organized around uh, a mixed uh, employed physician uh, network where they they have significant independent practices that they work with in addition to their own employed docs. Uh, and so we, uh, our clients often are struggling with keeping their physician networks together. Uh, they are struggling with competing demands from a variety of different payers. And they need to they need to build a business model that will support investment in their primary care clinics, both their employed practices and uh, supporting their independence to keep the network together as well. And so what we do is we bring them tools that will help them realize and generate new revenue in a population health business model. And that that comes from what we would consider good primary care services or good fee for service revenue, where you're providing more care management services to the sickest patients. You're providing more uh, wellness visits and more preventive services so that you're catching problems earlier. Uh, and you're using technology effectively to leverage very limited, especially during the pandemic when we're dealing with a, a, a mass uh, a pandemic of burnout and trauma for the healthcare system. Uh, getting uh, providing more tools and support for providers is, is important for all of us who uh, who are not care providers but who are you know depending on scarce healthcare resources to to serve patients in new ways. And so we bring them this in a technology platform. We help them learn how to use it. We help them figure out their staffing needs to do this population health work. Uh, and we're partners in implementation. We're partners in risk sharing. So to get to capitalize on this, what underlies all of this is a, a different deal with the government or with a payer where if you're rewarded as a provider for taking care of your patients better over time. And if you uh, if you don't do a good job in that, then you might end up having to write a check to the payer and, or, or the government, which is sort of a, a nightmare scenario that has never happened at, uh, at Caravan Health. And we, we plan on that never happening. Uh, 100% of our clients in this last cycle are getting shared savings checks from the government uh, over the next 30, 45 days. So uh, the, the goal here is to generate, to use these new opportunities in population health payment models to turn them into transformed primary care practices that then create a positive flywheel effect where the, the providers are investing in primary care and generating increasing returns from that rather than investing in, uh, you know, not to pick on any, any specialties, but whatever the latest high tech, uh, you know, uh, procedure center is that's going to have have some benefits certainly, but also perhaps some marginal benefits and draw on patients who might not need that service. Yeah, no, that's that's a great uh, explanation and, and definitely a value add. Again, I know all the health systems that I served with, we we're all in some sort of value-based care and shared savings programs. And it certainly helped when we had advisors and others that, that would sort of help us along that journey because it's brand new territory for the majority of these health systems. And so it's always nice when you can uh, partner with someone, especially on a app risk basis. So this is Digital Voices. So the primary audience that we have are leaders in digital. And so, Tim, I'm curious about the tools. So obviously, it's much more than tech that's required. And I think everyone gets that. But if we were to focus on the tools for a second, what are some examples of some of the technology tools that you all deploy or encourage your, your, your clients to deploy that really help them to ensure they can maximize you know, the value-based care, both, you know, mainly from a clinical perspective? 
Yeah, absolutely. And totally want to underline your point that it's a lot more than tools at the end of the day. Yeah. It's uh, it's workflow changes first and foremost, and, and the tools need to support that and bringing actionable information to the to the bedside so that uh, physicians can use it. Uh, I would I would put the tools that we bring and use in three broad categories. We one of the first places you start is uh, is analytics, and that's claims based analytics. That's clinical analytics to identify gaps in care, to identify quality improvement opportunities, and to keep track of how you're doing. Big picture, uh, you know, monthly, quarterly, annually, to roll up to performance on the various contracts that you're in for for value based care. So that that's certainly table stakes, and that that's something that we've that we've had built and uh, have been iterating on for for years and years. Uh, second category I would put would be using some of that uh, that claims data and clinical data, uh, bringing it to the point of care in uh, in various forms, whether it's a, a provider face sheet or a patient face sheet summarizing gaps in care, summarizing medication adherence, summarizing uh, care improvement opportunities for a particular patient and the, the practice can use that by compiling them and sort of uh, getting them ready and discussing uh, for the patient visit day for the in the morning huddle. Uh, you can access it live online during a patient visit. There's a couple of different ways that every every provider has a different way they prefer to organize their workflow. And so we, we've got to be able to support a variety of ways of accessing that point of care information. Um, and third, and this is an area that that's uh, still nascent for us, but that we're uh, that we're growing supporting uh, to the point about leveraging staff time, uh, supporting the ability to manage patients with direct patient communication tools and care management dashboards and care management tools that allow our core, the core staff on our client side, which is a population health nurse in our model, um, or sometimes a medical assistant to, to keep tabs on which patients, which high needs patients are under active care management when they need to be touched, when they need to be outreached to, to provide opportunities for the patients to reach out to the practice and, and escalate themselves if they need to. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, the, the call, you could put it, you could call it a patient engagement tool at the end of the day, which there are a lot of in the market. Uh, we, we have a particular couple of use cases for that for population health. Yeah, that's, that's very insightful. You know, you talk a lot about the patients. Uh, my colleague, Chris Ross and I, he's from uh, Mayo Clinic. We're in the middle of writing this book for Mayo Clinic Press and Simon and & Schuster. And we're actually d- developing the book for the consumer market, not the healthcare market. And so I'm curious, because I've never really given a lot of thought to it, in, in a good value-based care model, the ones that we're talking about that you're helping health systems with, how does the consumer experience or patient experience how is it impacted and have you seen results like is it improved uh is it the same you know what what are your thoughts around that yeah well one of the first things that patients should see in any good value-based implementation and you know certainly not all of them are good we we certainly uh hope and believe that that uh all of our client implementations are good because we are we are helping them and, and that is always a goal any good value-based care implementation should see expanded patient access. And whether that's in the form of digital tools or expanded office hours, uh, you know, weekend access, uh, 24-hour nurse call lines, those are just really important for purposes of making sure that patients who have escalating care needs or, uh, or higher risk, your COPD patients or your CHF patients, that they have a way to stay in touch with the office over 
concerns they have over, you know, a bad weight reading, uh, you know, breathing problems. And they can assess whether they need to come into the office, whether they need a, a nurse phone call, or whether they need to uh, head to the emergency room. Uh, so that's one really important and obvious patient benefit. Uh, and that, you know, include commu enhanced communication in the, the broader patient experience bucket. Um, I think if you did uh, a national survey of, um, you know, patient experience, uh, I don't know what you would find exactly. I think you would find that increased access, but then I think you'd find a whole bunch of other experimentation around, um, you know, increased outbound outreach from yeah. practices around certain key quality measures, whether it's cancer screenings, uh, vaccines, uh, measures that are tracked in these contracts. Um, patients, you know, as as you see more investment in primary care from these contracts and from this work, then you should see more time with the provider, uh, it both, you know, physician provider, but then also the, the entire care team, whether that's uh, nurses or social workers, pharmacists, uh, that, which will hopefully and, uh, you know, has been shown to in, in case studies in our model and others to, to show improvements in particularly high risk categories. So there are a lot of different ways that this can go, depending on the, the focus of the model uh, and the focus of the provider doing the work. Yeah, it makes total sense because as you're sharing your thoughts, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious in one sense because you're moving from episodic care, meaning I only see you, Dr. Tim, when I need to, and it's usually not necessarily a good thing, versus this ongoing relationship because you have that ongoing communication and the proactive care and, and then you can leverage the analytics to, to do some uh, sort of predictive uh, trending and things of that nature. And then just by increasing access, patient access alone, that, that's a huge satisfier. Uh, to have that increased access, access. So I can see all those things coming together and really having a positive, tremendously positive impact on patient experience. So, you know, there's a lot of new entrants, Tim, into the marketplace that we've never considered before. So it was always this traditional market of hospitals and physician practices. And then you saw some home health pop up and some ambulatory surgery centers, physician-owned things. But now it's right, completely different with retail entrants, with Amazon Care, with Walmart Health, Walmart's building a, a medical school now with the uh, Cleveland Clinic. You're, so you're seeing all these new entrants. How do you think that's going to impact sort of our move to uh, value-based care? I think it's interesting to look at, and it's uh, it's hard for me to talk about it in, in an overall generality. I think that you can look at particular uh, use cases and sources of waste and say, yeah, I can totally see where Amazon's going to come in and blow up the way we experience pharmacy mail order care, um, if you want to call that care. Uh, whereas other, you know, managing uh, you know, access to primary care for very basic needs, I totally get where Walmart and CVS have massive advantages over a, a small primary care operation that it struggles to maintain regular business hours, much less expanded hours. And uh, that that all the, there's a lot of examples of where you can see big players successfully uh, not just nibbling around the edges but making big bets around uh, becoming caregivers at the end of the day. Um, less clear to me how they're going to navigate the much more complicated patients and the patients where there's just a ton of human decision making involved in the and you know call it physician expertise, care team expertise. And there's a lot about the embedded relationships of 
who is providing what type of care in a community, uh, what uh, what the specialists in the area are good at, and what they what they need to send off to the referral center. Um, that stuff is to me seems a, a few years down the road before the the disruptors get involved. You know, yeah. there's certainly a number of other disruptors that uh, we consider more endemic to the healthcare system, and and certainly you know, uh, Caravan Health, we we want to be uh, and are. Uh, providing a new way of accessing support and, uh, and value-based care innovation. But uh, as far as what the non-healthcare entities, the new entrants are going to do, uh, you know, they have a lot of capital. They have a lot of ability to innovate here. Um, but uh, it's certainly not a situation where I expect that we're all going to be receiving Amazon Care and Amazon Insurance within the next five years. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens. So my last question, Tim, and then I'll sort of leave it open-ended for you after that as we wind down. And that is, let's say that you were a CEO in a Greenfield situation, CEO of a hospital. Uh, and what are what are one or two things that you would do? Obviously, there would be a lot of different things, but specific to value-based care. So how would you set up your hospital for success? What are, what are one or two key things that a hospital CEO should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, even just by starting as a hospital CEO instead of a, a, an independent physician group or uh, or another stakeholder in the system, you've got a, an immediate set of constraints on you, including what population you're serving, what your zip code is, and, and all of that. Um, but just taking a, a generic uh, health system, I, I think that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for uh, for growing population health businesses that are going to support what I, I view as the, the core problem for healthcare providers, uh, you know, long-term of maintaining patient loyalty. And that's a lot about uh, patients loving your brand and experience. And if your brand and experience is uh, all about how annoying it is to navigate your facility and your parking lots and, uh, you know, your call tree and all of that, then uh, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle already. But you've got a lot of opportunities now uh, that can that can support investment in really enhanced primary care and access, which setting aside, you know, the really important business lines of, you know, all the inpatient work that, that drives a lot of the health system success metrics, which is um, certainly important uh, as well. But the opportunities to support uh, a robust outpatient network uh, where patients have free and ready access to your primary care docs, your affiliated specialists. Uh, and all of your your services and facilities, there's there's a lot of opportunity to grow businesses and Medicare shared savings program and Medicare Advantage relationships uh, and other value based contracts that there just weren't ten years ago. And yeah. uh, setting up a strong team around that would be one of the first places I would start. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Yeah, definitely have to look at your region, your demographics, and, and zip code. Look, uh, Tim, I'll leave you with the final word. Anything that. Uh, maybe double down on anything that we talked about already or something that that you'd like to share with with our audience. Yeah, I just really appreciate the, the chance to talk with all of you. Uh, this is this is long. Uh, I've recently been talking with a number of friends who are who are getting back into public service and thinking about taking the, the retrospective of like what's working and what's not. And it's very easy to look at any given year and any given uh, any given policy cycle, any news cycle. Um, any given perform like any given provider and say, well, value-based care just isn't, you know, it's it's a disappointment. It's not it's not what we were hoping it would be. Um, but I think looking back over the sweep of the last 10, really 15 years over three, three and a half administrations uh, of work on this 
And uh, the ACO program has grown faster than the Medicare Advantage program grew in the 1980s. Uh, the investment in the ecosystem that's built up around supporting population health in the healthcare system, and I would certainly include Caravan uh, among those companies, but hundreds of others uh, to, to provide not just digital tools, but workflow tools, uh, patient engagement tools, uh, everything that you need to be successful in these programs. Uh, it's a vast ecosystem at this point. The data has gotten better. Uh, there, there's just been a huge amount of improvement and the, the metrics are showing positive directions. And so what, you know, my advice to, to Washington and to, to payers who are making a lot of these decisions has been, we're, we're at a point where we could either sort of stagnate for a while or we could continue to invest in these programs, um, ACOs being first and foremost among them. And we could, the, the day is within sight now where we could expect that everybody in, uh, and certainly in Medicare, but also in other uh, other coverages could expect to, re to receive care through a value-based entity, more particularly to have robust and enhanced primary care services, primary care 2.0. And, and that's the project for policymakers and payers right now. Uh, that's my pitch anyway. Yeah, no, Tim, I agree with you. I think it's the right thing to do for all the reasons we already talked about, patient experience, quality of care, the financials surrounding all of this. So your your comments are very insightful and appreciated. And we, we thank you again for being on our show. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Eddie. All right. Thank you, Tim. Take care. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff, and we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.